Heavenly Father, we think of uh, those men who came to your followers and said, Sir, we, want, we wish to see Jesus. And in so many ways, that is our prayer this morning. We want to see the Lord Jesus Christ afresh. And we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit uh, just now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention? We are ready for takeoff. Uh, please look ahead as our team run through the final safety checks. The emergency exits are located at the front and the rear of the plane. In the event that life jackets are required, these will appear from above you. Please put on your own before helping somebody else. Uh, make sure your hand luggage is in the hold above you. Make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. We hope you enjoy your flight. Well, uh, you have not been teleported to some uh, airline or something this morning, um, but I thought I would begin in that way because uh, when that happens, when we're on a plane and we hear those uh, words, uh, maybe, I don't think this is just me, is it? We, we tend to stop paying attention, don't we? Usually there's uh, kids to look after or a nap to have or a film to get ready to watch or a chapter of a book to read, and it all goes over our heads, doesn't it? And I think it can be just the same with a passage like uh, this. It can be the same anytime we open God's Word, but maybe especially in a passage like Matthew chapter 11, 25 to 30. These verses are probably some of the most famous verses that Jesus ever uh, said, famous words. They're so precious to uh, Christians, aren't they? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll have heard these words so many times. Uh, they're full of comfort, and yet they also contain some of the most challenging things that Jesus ever said. There's claims in here that people find very difficult to hear. And what I want to do this morning, I want to pick out three big surprises, okay? Three big surprises from this uh, familiar passage. And the first has to do with hiding, hiding. Jesus, uh, in this passage, he's just uttered words of real doom against all sorts of towns that have rejected him. But I think what he says in verse 25 is equally astonishing. Jesus is praying, he's praising his Father, and he rejoices that the things of God are hidden hidden from the wise and the understanding. Jesus says it was God's gracious will, verse 26, to, it pleased God to hide, to hide his truth from certain types of people. It's quite surprising, isn't it? It's quite, we might even say, quite offensive this morning. Um, I typed the word hide into the thesaurus on my uh, computer. Here's what I got, obstruct cloud, conceal, shroud, withhold, keep quiet. And Jesus says, God the Father, he behaves in that kind of way with certain types of people. Listen to how one translation puts it. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls. Sophisticates and know it alls, the wise, the learned. God hides his truth 
from people like that. We see it all through the Gospels, don't we? And the people who had Jesus all figured out, well, they failed to see God in front of them, didn't they? Or what about this from the Apostle Paul? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? It pleased God, Paul says, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, it's really important to stress that uh, Jesus and Paul here, they're not being anti-intellectual. Elsewhere in Scripture, we're called to love God with all our minds. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we can know that all truth is God's truth. We can explore that truth. We can enjoy doing that, whether we're into biology or botany or whatever it is we're interested in. But when it comes to knowing God, well, we are utterly dependent on Him. We are totally dependent on Him making the first move. And there is a kind of person that God's truth is hidden from. Not the broken person, not the sinful person, but the pious, the proud person. Think of the a parable Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Who did God accept in that story? Not the man with all the religious credentials, but the man who said, Lord, have mercy on me. Um, in our society, one of the great mantras is inclusion, isn't it? And Jesus is, well, Jesus is the most inclusive and most exclusive person who ever lived. And Jesus stands in front of the whole world and he says, all of you need me. All of you need something that only I can give you. That is humbling. That is offensive. That means all of us are equals before him. However good or bad we've been, whatever we have or haven't done, all of us need him. And lots of people don't like that. If you keep telling them that, well, they might start to get pretty angry. I think this has some implications for um, our witness or evangelism. We should be very creative, maybe more creative than we sometimes are. We should try and share our faith in lots of different ways. We should be really clear. We should try to point people faithfully to Jesus. We should try to think of dozens of ways we could do that. But it doesn't mean that people will just inevitably believe. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus is giving his mission instructions to his followers. And he says this, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave. Some people will never bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will always love darkness more than light. We need to know that. We need to know that the gospel can be refused. We need to know that it can sometimes be hidden from people. But there's a second thing. We don't just see a hiding here. We see revealing. And at the end of verse 25, Jesus says that the deep things of God have been revealed to 
little children. The world is hostile with God. The world is arguing with God. But in the words of Sammy, there are little ones, little ones who still sing his praise. Now, I love, one of the things I love about this building is that up there, uh, that uh, stained glass window. Uh, And I love that it's there. I love that in this building we can see, we can be reminded of the fact that Jesus said to little children, to uh, his disciples, let the little children come to me. And I think the truth is that there is often more understanding of the meaning of the universe in Sunday school upstairs than you will find in Holyrood and Westminster or Dundee or Abertay universities and kids who have tantrums and snotty noses, especially at this time of year. Well, if they're singing, our God is a great big God, if they're singing, Jesus loves me, well, they've got more understanding, haven't they? They're more privileged than so many people in society. The man with two PhDs and no understanding of the Bible, he doesn't know something that they know. I think kids are like sponges, aren't they? They, They're taking in all the time way more than we realize. And I think this is encouraging for us if we're parents or if we're uh, someone who cares about uh, children. In verse 27, Jesus continues this revelation theme. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And what we're getting this morning here in St. Peter's is a, a trip right into the heart of the Trinity. In this verse, we're being shown the close relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And it goes like this, nobody knows me like he does, says Jesus. Nobody knows him like I do. And I think here's the shock, nobody knows him like the people I've shown him to. That's Christians. Now, I know somebody who uh, knew Steve Jobs when he was younger. So now all of you can say that you know someone who knew someone who knew Steve Jobs when he was younger. But you don't get to meet someone like that, do you? You don't get to meet someone like Steve Jobs without a kind of personal introduction. And Jesus is saying, I think here, you don't get to meet God the Father without Jesus, without me choosing to reveal him to you. In John chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Maybe you know these words. If God had a name, what would it be? 
God had a face, what would it look like? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus? The message of Christianity is that God has revealed himself to us. God has shown us his face. God has told us his name, and it is Jesus. See, sometimes people say, don't they, if God just showed up, well, Matthew chapter 11 says, he has. Tom Torrance, he taught theology at New College in Edinburgh many years ago, and uh, during World War II, he served as an army chaplain in Italy, and one day he came across a, a dying uh, soldier who's just about 20 years old. And as he, as he bent over this mortally wounded soldier, the young man, he looked up at him and he said these words. He said, Padre, is, is God really like Jesus? Is God really like Jesus? And Torrance, he was so moved, he assured this young man that in Jesus, God had shown us his face. In Jesus, God had poured out his love for us as Savior. As he prayed, he commended this man to to God, and he passed away. Amazingly, though, a few years later, an elderly woman in a, a church he was the minister in, he was visiting her. She asked the exact same question. Is God really like Jesus? See, that's where it really counts, isn't it? As you die, you need to know if you know Jesus, if you know God. As you die, you need to know, has all this been true? Well, if you know Jesus, it is. You, ha- you know God. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. He has unique authority. All things have been handed over to him, Jesus says, by his Father. Um, I read not long ago that uh, one of a, a British prime minister's first acts is to write what is known as the letter of last resort. And um, this is a letter that uh, everyone hopes is never opened. And it's uh, given to uh, unnamed commanders of a Trident submarine in the Atlantic. And it details what should be done in the event of a devastating nuclear attack. And it's only to be opened if uh, the Prime Minister has been killed. It's only to be opened if uh, there's no one in charge. And the options are said to include the following. Put yourself under the command of the United States, if it is still there. Retaliate. Use your own judgment. Go to Australia. And only the prime minister, only the prime minister, this is the thing, only he can write that letter. Nobody else, he or she, I should have said, nobody else can do that. Well, Jesus has power a bit like that, so much more, of course. He is the one God the Father has chosen. 
He is the one who has been entrusted with the truth of God. Only he can reveal it. And I think this morning, if you're a Christian, then here's something to really treasure. If you know God the Father, it is because God the Son has revealed him to you. God the Son has revealed him to you. First and foremost, that is who you are. You are someone who God the Son has revealed the Father to. And here sitting in St. Peter's this morning, there is such security, there's such assurance even in that fact. So in this passage, what do we see? We see hiding, we see revealing, but there's a third thing. We see inviting, inviting. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the ultimate invite, isn't it? It comes, well, look at who it comes to. Jesus calls the weary and the burdened. Jesus speaks directly to people who feel weighed down and weak. Jesus comes to people who are troubled by shame and worry and guilt, people who have tried, I think the meaning here is they've tried again and again to deal with their own sin, but they've got no relief. And it is to people like that that Jesus comes. It's to people like that that he makes his offer. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but maybe this morning you need to hear these words afresh. Maybe you need to be reminded of Jesus and his attitude, his posture towards you. See, let's, uh, let's try and re- reimagine this verse. What does Jesus not say? Jesus does not say, come to me, all you who are sorted, successful, striving. Jesus does not say, come to me, all you who are perfect and persevering. Jesus does not say, come to me, all you who are already doing so well at defeating your own sin. No, the offer comes to the weary. The offer comes to the heavy laden. The offer comes to people who are sighing their way through life. Is that you this morning? Jesus comes to people who know that they need him. And Jesus, this makes Jesus so different to uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, he denounces them for placing heavy burdens and regulations on God's people, offering them no help, no hope. But Jesus is so different to them, to the broken people. To the broken people, Jesus comes and offers his grace. I think there's a wonderful um, picture of this in the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 22. You might wish to look at this 
uh, later on. In 1 Samuel 22, we read these words, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David, distressed, in debt, discontented. It's so like Jesus. These are the type of people Jesus attracts. And notice what he offers. Come to me, he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and what will, I, what will he give you? Not a whole bunch of stuff to do for him. Not some kind of impossible burden to carry. Not treadmill, hamster wheel religion, but rest, rest. I think our world is crying out for this without even knowing it. Just listen to uh, J.C. Ryle. He is writing in the 19th century. Listen to this. Unrest. Unrest is one great characteristic of the world. Hurry vexation, failure, disappointment. They stare us in the face on every side. Well, what would he say today? We are so frazzled, aren't we? We're so distracted. We're so overstimulated. But what Jesus offers us, what he offers us is so much more than just a breather from our phones. So you listen to Ryle again. He says, there is an ark of refuge for the weary as there was for Noah's dove. There is rest in Christ. There's rest of conscience and rest of heart. There's rest built on pardon of all sin. There is rest flowing from peace with God. Maybe this morning you're here, you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to say it's, it is, in one sense, it's as easy to come to him. It's as easy as ABC. All you need to do is say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I, here it is, I admit my need for you. I believe that your death is paid for my sins. I confess that you are Lord. If you do that, admit, believe, confess. If you do that, what Jesus will do, he will welcome you with open arms. He will take you, into, take you to himself. He will never, ever let you go. Maybe this morning you've been a Christian for a long time. You need to hear to this invite again. Come to me, he says. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy. 
Now listen to uh, Dane Ortland. I know some of you have been reading his book, Gentle and Lowly. It's a, a lovely book, Gentle and Lowly. Listen to what he says. Jesus is not harsh. Do you believe that? Jesus is not reactionary. Jesus is not easily exasperated. He is, Ortland writes, he is the most understanding person in the universe. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, for his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus. Friends, this morning, is that how we think of him? Is that our default view of the Lord Jesus Christ? We often think the opposite, don't we? Will we, this morning, will we dare to believe the truth about him? Or will we create a Jesus in our own image? See, look at how the passage ends. In verse 29, what Jesus does here, I think, is he takes us to the farm and he takes us to school. He gives us a yoke, but it's an easy yoke, a light yoke. It's life as it was meant to be. And then he calls us to learn from him. But in case we think that, in case we think that life in his classroom, in case we think that means that we'll be out of our depth, in case we think that means that we would be too afraid to ask him for help, well, Jesus this morning, he puts our hearts at rest because Jesus is the kindest of teachers. Jesus is the teacher and Jesus is the lesson. We learn from him and we learn of him. That's the Christian life. Day by day, what Jesus is doing, he is making us more like himself. He's calling us again and again to come back to enjoy the rest, the freedom, the, the wonder of what he offers. So can Jesus still surprise you this morning? Or have we got a bit uh, used to him? The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he doesn't stop being gentle and lowly when he returns to heaven. No, he is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus still carries his people on his heart. Jesus still understands our need. And Jesus still offers us his rest. And he will keep on doing that right until we see his face. Well, let's pray together. Let's pray. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus is full of mercy and grace towards us. We thank you this morning that he comes to us and offers us rest and joy and freedom. We recognize that this can only be found in him. 
And so we pray you'd help us to rejoice in all that he has given us. We praise you. We worship you this morning. And we pray, be near to us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.